There, how's that? Ah, now you can hear me. <laughs> All right, well, now that you can hear me, good morning. All right, well, I can hear you better, too. All right. Well, it's good to have you all here, and uh, it's the first Sunday of the month, so it is a hymn sing Sunday, and as uh, you can see, if you're someone that's here regularly, we have some new songbooks. Uh, for me, it's actually not that new of a songbook. I use these as a teenager, so there's a lot of familiar ones in here. Um, so we actually have both of the songbooks here for you this morning. You can choose songs out of either one of them. Um, once again, let's try to uh, stay within our, uh, I guess, singing abilities, you might call it. And uh, let's pick some old familiar hymns that we all know and try to sing them good old a cappella style and give our worship team a little bit of a break especially since half of them aren't here. So it's good to have you all here. And along with the uh, <clears throat> singing, we'll just, uh, this is also your uh, testimony and sharing time. Um, anything that the Lord lays on your heart, prayer requests, anything God has inspired you with, something he's taught you this week. And uh, just feel free to share in between songs. Feel free to pick songs that really have a message for you. Feel free to pick a song and tell me, tell everybody, what is special about that song to you. So I'd love to hear your testimonies along those lines. But today we, obviously this is uh, July the 4th, our American Independence Day. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, things we think of are the celebrations and the cookouts and eating too much food, which we'll have an opportunity for that after the service as well. Um, you know, fireworks, parties, you name it. Um, obviously, I, th I think we all know the, the real origins of our Independence Day. And, you know, for some reason, God has uh, chosen or allowed each one of us to uh, be here in this country. He's given us a lot of uh, blessings and, and privileges that may not be elsewhere in, in the world. And, and that's something to be extremely thankful for. And uh, sometimes we can... Uh, it's easy to just get caught up in the, the patriotism, which in and of itself is, is not wrong, but I would... I would challenge each one of us to remember where our true liberties come from. Um, you know, as, as much as I admire the, you know, the work that the founding fathers did and how they gave their lives and uh, came up with the, the Constitution and the hard work that that was, that's not where our ultimate freedom lies. That's a blessing. It's a real blessing. But our ultimate freedom is in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter if we find ourselves, no matter if we find ourselves here in America, which is probably still the most free nation on earth, or if you find yourself in a place like Iran or China or 
any other country where, where Christians are, are being persecuted, we still have the freedom that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's allow that to be our, our true focus on, on our Independence Day. And all the while, yes, thank the Lord for the blessings he has given us here in this country as well. All right, let's start out with singing in the Green Books, the Zion's Praises, number 477. And after this, you can feel free to pick your own songs. And uh, I'll lead a few of them here. And in a little bit, Dave will have some uh, songs to share as well. After that, I think since Carrie's not here, we probably won't have the uh, children's singing time, but we'll have a little break uh, instead, and there's coffee and tea and water and some things like that in the back foyer you can help yourselves do at that time. All right, 477. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. And covers me there with his hand. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. Covers me there with his hand. With numberless blessings each moment he crowns, and filled with his fullness divine. I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, for such a Redeemer as mine. He hideth my soul in the 
cleft of the rock that shadows thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. When clothed in his brightness transported I rise to meet him in clouds of the sky. Perfect salvation, his wonderful love, how shalt with the millions on high. He hideth shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. Covers me there with his hand. Amen. What are your selections? Is that you, John? Who was back there? Three or four. Noah, was that you? All right, well, we'll go with that. 648 in the red book. Um, Noah, did I hear you have one too? Okay, I'll take yours next. So, in the red book, 648. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. Victory unto victory, his army shall he I think this is a song we're supposed to stand up for. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye that are men now serve him unnumbered foes let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose 
Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh may fail you, trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, <clears throat> gone to prayer, where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the strife will not Nor the noise of battle, the next the victor's song to him. Shall be he with the King of glory shall reign eternally. Amen. Now, if you want to, you can be seated. <laughs> Sherry, can you go get me a glass of water, please? Thank you. Anyone else? I think there was like three others. Noah, weren't you next? You still have one? 501? Which book? Back to the green book, number 501. Thank you. Are you going to come help me sing? All right. All right. Number 501, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth and on the earth again shall stand. I know eternal life he giveth, that grace and power are in his hand. I know, I know that Jesus liveth and on the earth again shall stand. I know, I know that life he giveth, that grace and power are in his hand. I know his promise never faileth, the word he speaks, it cannot die. That cruel 
death my flesh assail, and I shall see him by and by. I know, I know that Jesus liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. I know, I know that life he giveth, that grace and power are in his I know my mansion he prepareth, that where he is, there I may be. Oh, wondrous thought for me he careth, and he at last will come for me. I know, I know that Jesus liveth and on the earth again shall stand. I know, I know that life he giveth, that grace and power are in his hand. Any testimonies, prayer requests? I think Phil had a song. You have a testimony to go with it? Number 147 in the green book, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. I believe this is one everybody here probably knows and can pitch in on. That was not the right pitch. I'm still not on the right page. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but 
contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his head, his feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did there such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine. My soul, my life, my own. Red book. All right. Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus, going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift 
loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus, going on before. Onward then, ye people, join that happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, Lord, and honor Unto Christ the King, through countless ages, angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Yes, I'm on. Feel like I'm a little on, a little bit wired up. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you were sharing there, brother Phil, is like, you know, sometimes um, we just, for me anyhow, I just don't have enough of patience. But God always shows up on time, and it's, it's amazing how God brings things about. Sometimes, you know, and He's like, "Are you gonna trust me? Are you gonna trust me?" You know. So, Amen. Glad for that. I think I got a couple of, I got this little booklet, the praise uh, booklet thing here. I think I'd like to bring or sing a few songs from here. Um, a, a little biblical test. Uh, which was the, which character in the Bible was the greatest musician? Samson. He brought the house down. But we... <laughs> <laughs> I think I like to sing that little chorus uh, Alive, alive, alive forevermore My Jesus is alive Alive, alive, alive forevermore My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore Alive, alive, alive forevermore my Jesus is alive. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. My Jesus is alive forevermore. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. 
my Jesus is alive. Why don't we stand? We're only going to sing a couple of these, and then we're going to take a, about a 10-minute break. There's no children's class this morning or lesson, from what I understand. We're just going to have a break, and then Brother Phil, like, is going to bring the word. Um, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Let me just find it here. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. One more. Uh, Come bless the Lord. Are you servants of the Lord? Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. And bless the Lord. Repeat. Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. We stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand in the holy place and bless the Lord and bless the Lord. Amen. All right, you take your break and then uh, we'll have the message. We'll begin to uh, open our Bibles to the Word. And I just want to give you the encouragement that the Lord gave me this morning. There's this amazing power of the written Word of God becoming a living Word. For years, I was brought up in the church, a pastor's home, taught the Bible from the first that I could begin to read. And I thank God for that. But there was a time in my life when the Holy Spirit took these written words and made them words, as Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. There's a huge difference 
of the way that works out in your life. When these written words become spirit and life to you and I as we read them, it causes changes to happen in our inner man. Without that, they simply produce a lot of head knowledge. They make you wiser. And they'll make you smarter. But they'll also do this to you. In Corinthians, the church in Corinth were very educated people in their day. And as Apostle Paul came to them with the word of God. These are the words that he said to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said to them, let me see if I can find the verse. Verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words. Does it in your life? Do you serve Christ only in words? You praise Him with your words. You pray to Him with your words. You speak to Him, to others, in words. But without this second half, that's all you have. And words will leave you empty because they leave you powerless. You see, there's no way you'll ever become more than a conqueror in Christ. Overcome your flesh and its passions and its lusts. Overcome all of the world that is full of words. How will you overcome all those words? In your mind? You can't. It'll overwhelm you and discourage you and confuse you. And turn you into an agnostic. You won't know what you believe anymore. How will you overcome the devil? He has more words than all of us put together. And he knows the Bible better than any Christian ever did living on the earth. He does. Know it inside and out. So memorization of this book will not save you. But this will. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. The power of the Holy Spirit. That word power in the Greek is dunamite. It's the word where we get dynamite from. Dunamis. Dynamite. Now that is life changing. You and I all know what dynamite does to a mountain hillside to something that seems absolutely impossible any other way. In fact, most times, excavators use dynamite as last resort, right? If it won't dig out with a track hoe or, or a backhoe or a huge excavator or, you know, some big machine won't dig it, what are we going to do to get through this rock? Oh, I know what. We'll go get ourselves some dynamite sticks. We'll drill some holes. We'll put these little sticks in these holes. And we'll all stand back and light that fuse. 
And what happens? Power! That's what happens. And what does that power do? It changes the rock. It changes the whole mountainside. That's what needs to happen with this written word in my life and in your life. Or this will happen to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, four chapters later, Paul says this, verse 2, verse verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We know about that. Knowledge makes, someone fill in the blank? Uh Uh-uh. Arrogance. Did you say power? Nice try, but wrong. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge makes arrogance. The love edifies, builds you up. Knowledge, and when someone becomes arrogant, there's something that happens to our hearts. What happens to your heart when you become arrogant? When someone is trying to convince you of something you don't believe, and you become arrogant, what happens? Do you receive that knowledge? What do, you, what do you do with that, what they're trying to tell you? You ignore it, and you become proud or hardened to the knowledge, right? You stiffen your heart, or as Stephen told the whole crowd of Jews at the council when he was trying to tell them about Jesus Christ, he said, you stiff-necked and hardened hearts. And that won't give us any power. It produces a rock hardness. So knowledge can harden your heart. And it does, unless it comes with power. And that breaks up the hard heart. The arrogance is broken in the heart when the power of the Holy Spirit takes these words and blows up your knowledge. Yep. What you know about God blows to bits. God ever do that to you? With the power of His Word? Everything you had studied for years. And you come to maybe this word. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Oh, I thought I knew a lot about God. Because I had studied this book. And I was full of words. Hang around me for a while. You'll know. But I was lacking one thing. Power. I was lacking that which Martha needed. Jesus said to Martha in Luke chapter 10, Martha wasn't lacking her kitchen skills. 
Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house. You know the story here. I'll read it to you. It's only a few verses. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Wow, wouldn't you like to do that? Welcome Jesus. Wait, this is for real. This was the Jesus who raised the dead. This was the Jesus who healed the blind, who made the lame to walk. This was the Jesus. And he was coming in the village, and she runs out, and he says, come to my house. And he comes. What would you do? How would you welcome Jesus? You would welcome him just the way you do now. How do you welcome Jesus into your heart, into your life? You do it the way Martha did, or you do you do it the way her sister Mary did. We all do it one of these two ways. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Oh, that's right. Don't you think Mary should have been helping? What would you have expected Jesus to say? Mary, you've been listening for a while. Your sister Martha needs some help. Maybe it's time to go. That's what I would expect Jesus to say. Wouldn't you? But Jesus did not say that. And he still does not say that. His same answer that he gave to Martha, he gives to every one of his busy children who are distracted from listening and sitting at his feet. It doesn't mean we don't do anything for the Lord. And as one guy said, I'm just going to sit here in my house and wait for the Lord until he comes again and do nothing. That's not what Jesus wanted Martha. What he wanted Martha to get was the one thing needful. And that was what Mary got. Look what he says. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried. He spoke to her heart. You're worried. And you're bothered. I don't know if this does this to you. I think it probably does. Because it does it to me. And I've seen it do it to a lot of other human beings as well. When you are busy. And you're not listening to the voice of Jesus. In your busyness. Your heart quickly becomes anxious, worried about your busyness, the things you're busy about. And when you become anxious, the next step is you become bothered with others that are not helping you in your busyness. Almost always, that's how it goes. I'm busy working for God. And I'm not getting everything done and there are so many needs around me and 
I begin to look around at other people and say, what are they doing, Lord? Tell them to help me, Lord. I might not be do it in front of their face like Martha did with Mary. I might do it in my prayers. Lord, tell them to help me. We become worried and bothered. And Jesus has a word for that. A living word that'll be dunamis, dynamite in your heart. It'll blow up all your plans, all your ambitions, all of your goals, all of your working and striving to make Jesus happy in your home, in your life. It'll blow it all up if you let him. But if you take the knowledge, what you think you know about Jesus and your own life and how you want to serve him, your own ambitions... And you go about his house, serving him that way. You'll become anxious and bothered with others. Mary had. Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary. Really, only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from. The Lord will never take away a quiet, listening heart. Not through anything. Don't be fooled. By many words or much service. And this word is very needful. Because last Sunday, for those of you who were here, I spoke to you about making disciples. Having a construction worker mentality. Remember, I kind of dressed up with the hard hat and the safety vest, put out the orange cones and said, God has called every one of his children to be construction workers, constructing faith in the hearts of others, making disciples. But if you and I go about making disciples of other people without this one needful thing, a quiet, listening heart, all we're going to do is make disciples of my own ambition, my own dreams, my own knowledge of God. I will try to give to others. And I'll do it with this attitude. I'm full of anxiety about it. I'm conscious, you know, busy, busy, busy. And I become a Lord over other souls. Lording my knowledge of God over them in an attitude of anxiety, and I'll, I am bothered if you don't do it well, or if you do it differently than I think you should do it. Just like Mary. And my attitude is, Jesus, tell them how to do it. Jesus, make them work. Jesus, come on. Why aren't you doing it in the life of other people? And I will miss the one what a tragedy if I died that way. In the moment, I stand before the Lord and I'll say, Lord, have I not done, have I not visited the people in prison? Have I not given food to the hungry? Have I not given my life in service to you? And Jesus will have to look at me and say, I never knew you. Go away from me. That's what he said to those Christians in Matthew 7. You know that? 
And in Matthew 25, they were naming the name of Christ. They were casting out demons in his name. They didn't lie about that. Jesus never called them liars. He addressed the one needful thing that they missed. He said, I never knew you. You didn't know me. You didn't know my power. You had it in words, but you had no power. And your words puffed you up. Your service puffed you up and made you arrogant and boastful and made you bothered with all of the other children of mine. The one needful thing in discipleship, in making disciples, is a quiet, listening heart. And if you and I miss that, all we'll do is make many disciples of our own little knowledge of God. But if you and I go about constructing faith in the wives of our hearts, of our husbands and our wives and our children and our neighbors and our co-workers and our brothers and sisters in our communities, by having a listening ear, this kind of ear, and Isaiah, turn your Bibles with me, to Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 50, if you have your Bible, you'll want to read this, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. You want to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the lives of other people? You want to do the work that Jesus told us to do, every one of his children? In Matthew chapter 28, the last words of Jesus to us as he ascended to his disciples and now to us as he ascended up into glory were these words. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were still doubtful. It's okay if you're doubting. It's okay if you're still a bit fearful. If you're not sure, Jesus has this word for you and me. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all. That I commanded you. You get what you're supposed to teach? Not what you know about God. 
what he commands you. That's what we are to teach. How can I do that if I'm not listening? I can't. I will only teach according to the knowledge I have. But if I go to teach all that he commanded me, then these words become true. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If Christ is with me, he is my teacher. He's constantly teaching me like The prophecy Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 50, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. That means the tongue of a disciple. That I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. What are you supposed to say? He'll tell you what to say and he'll do it every morning. How do you wake up in the morning? Full of your own ambitions? The alarm clock goes off. I know what I got to do. I got to spend my little time with God. I gotta check my social media, I gotta check my emails, and I gotta get busy about my day serving the Lord. In the busyness of the day, I enter it in. But if you and I enter into our busy life every morning without listening and coming to that quiet place where my heart does not only listen, it obeys what it hears. A discipled heart is an obedient heart. It doesn't turn back from the word it hears that morning. That becomes its mission, its commission that day. A discipled ear, that's what he says. He awakens my ear to listen, not listen and forget, listen as a disciple, a person who comes to obey and follow. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I was not distracted from what I heard that morning. Jesus said to us in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. I'll begin there. He says, Jesus therefore said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am he. And they did. Some of them did. Even the centurion who crucified him. Who was the head of the crucifixion team. Walked away from that hour saying, Surely this was the son of God. Jesus said, When I am lifted up, then you'll know that I am he. And I do nothing of my own initiative. He had no ambition on his own. He didn't just come up with good ideas. He didn't live by the knowledge of his previous knowledge when he lived with his father in heaven. He didn't live by that. That's not how he knew what to do and what to say that day. This is how he lived. I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak the things as the father taught me. Earlier, He says, I only do the things I see my father do, and I only speak the things I hear him speak. Power instead of knowledge. Knowledge and busyness will make you arrogant, full of anxiety, and bothered. And you'll be wore out, burned out in a short time. You'll be like a little candle 
that not only is the flame lit, the wind blows on it, and your wax will just melt down very quickly. And what will you do when the wax runs out? You'll be like those virgins in Matthew 25. The oil ran out. But if you allow what you hear, you come to Jesus with that quiet, listening heart. And what you hear, you come as a disciple to listen and to obey that day. Then you are a disciple of Jesus Christ that day. And you can make disciples of Jesus that day. What you say is what you have heard. And what you set your heart to do that day, you have yielded to him. And you walk through the day, even in the busyness of the day, with that quiet, listening heart of Larry. Because your heart is at rest in his love. And though you're busy outwardly, inwardly, you're listening and obeying. That's power. That will obliterate your plans for the day, every day. And if you don't live by faith, you won't understand what I'm telling you. I'm like speaking gibberish. Language you don't understand, you don't experience. But if you're a child of God who lives by faith every day, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you say, Amen. That's me. That's how I live every day. I make my plans But just like Proverbs 16 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Do you live that way every day? It's an awesome way to live. And the only way you're going to obey when God directs your steps that day is if you have a listening heart and a watching heart for how God moves. It's not wrong to make plans. But if we live by faith and have a listening, quiet heart, instead of being anxious and bothered when things don't go my way that day, my ambitions are not happening, my time schedule isn't working out, you'll become one frustrated Christian, child of God, because you're fighting God. That's right. You're fighting Him. Like a rebellious little child, full of its own ambitions. You know, children get up and sometimes they have their ambitions, right? I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to start off doing this and then I'm going to play for a while and then we're going to do this. And, and then when dad and mom change up the day, even if dad and mom sometimes say, this is our plan for the day, but then things don't go that way, it's very easy and natural for a child to go, Wah! Right? Or, is that your attitude? That was Martha's attitude. Jesus, I had enough. Will you tell her to come and help me? Or will you have the quiet, listening heart? And Jesus will make disciples out of you. Day. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. 
It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. And Jesus continues through this chapter talking about addressing fear in our hearts, the fear of man and what other people might do to you. And that's always a factor when the Lord speaks his living word into your life and obliterates your knowledge. It will take humility to obey. Yep, it'll humble you from things you said in the past, things you stood for in the past. It'll humble all that arrogance. Just blow it to pieces. And then you can obey in a humble way. If you're going to make disciples, you must take up your cross and follow him. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, we read, was beginning to speak to his disciples about the cross. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what I came to follow you about. I didn't come to follow a guy who's going to get killed by his enemies. I came to follow the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who's going to take Jerusalem back like David did, the one who's going to conquer us and deliver us from the Romans, conquer them for us. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This is not going to happen. This shall never happen to you. You ever talk to Jesus like that? I did. I did in my heart. Maybe you have and just don't know it. When the Lord sets his cross in front of your life. Have you ever said, this is not from you, Lord. This must be from the devil. This is never going to happen. Not when I walk with you. I have faith it won't happen. I have faith you're the Messiah. You're going to do it in a different way in my life. This is not the way you're going to do it in my life. You're not going to blow up my ambitions. They were all for you. This whole thing was about you. I gave my life for you. I I had these ambitions of how I was going to serve you. And No, this can't be from you. Oh, I have. I get Peter. I get him. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, I imagine that Peter did it right up to the Lord's face. You know, maybe they were sitting in a circle and Jesus was talking to him. And Peter just gets, he gets upset about this. And he gets up and he says, Jesus, forbid it, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. He gets in his face. I imagine Peter had that kind of like, you know, fire in his heart. What Jesus was saying. Because this really hit Peter the wrong way. And Jesus calmly looks Peter in the eye and says, Get behind me, Satan. He called me the devil. Has Jesus called your ambitions Satan? He has me. And when Jesus looks you in the eye 
when you're so full of ambition and you're sure you're right. Peter wasn't trying to save his own life. He was trying to save Jesus' life. His plans for Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Or you are not setting your mind on God's interests. But man, that's what Jesus was addressing. My own interests, which I thought were God. My knowledge. He was addressing Peter's arrogant knowledge of Christ. And he said, it's from the devil. Get behind me. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, be my disciple. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Or whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Or what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world? Peter was thinking, it's Jesus gaining the world. And Jesus says, it will take my soul. That's what the devil had offered him, remember? Jesus, there in the hour of temptation, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. The last great temptation. I'll give you all this, Jesus, if you'll just fall down and worship me. Was Satan just bluffing? Or was that a real temptation? It was a real one. It would have stumbled Jesus. And the reason Jesus took a sharp approach to this is because he had already defeated Satan with this temptation in his life. And now one of his own disciples in a sincere love for him, gave him the same words. Jesus, you must exchange that crucified death, life of death, for a life of gaining the world. But it was man's interest and not Jesus. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with the angels and will recompense to every man according to his deeds. What are you giving in exchange for the world? Your own ambitions? Or are you willing to take up the cross of Jesus Christ? Take the written word of Christ. Let it be dynamite to all your ambitions, your own plans for him. Become a disciple, disciple maker of Jesus. Then you must begin with this quiet, listening heart, or you'll have no clue. Because we are full of our own ambitions based upon our knowledge of God. Just like Peter, that's who we are. Without the listening, discipled, obedient ear, that's who we become. As we listen to preaching, as we read the word, that's what it makes us. Without the one needful thing in our life. In Philippians chapter 2, he tells us this. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, 
If any affection and compassion, don't you want those things? Don't you want the comfort of love in the body of Christ? Don't you want to be encouraged in Christ? Don't you want the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your life? He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, he may be talking horizontally with other people, but I think he's talking about Jesus and me. Let this be Jesus and me experiencing this. Being of the same mind that Jesus is that day. Maintaining the same love that he has. United in spirit with Christ. Intent on the same purpose. And do nothing from selfish ambition. Be like Jesus. I do nothing on my own initiative. Doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And boy, does it fool us. Just like it did Peter. We think we're doing God a service like Martha and Peter. But we actually become the voice of Satan in other people's lives. We stumble the work of the cross in someone else's life. I tell you, children of God, this is real. I've been there. I've been Peter. I've meant well in serving God and his people and stumbled the work of the cross in their life. It's easily done. It's done regularly unless you and I become a disciple of Isaiah 50. An obedient ear to the voice of Jesus Christ. And we come with humility. Look, he says, not with empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That thing that I'm constantly, my identity in Christ, I'm constantly wanting to grasp it and establish it in my life. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Look what he did. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's his purpose in our lives. That's the attitude of disciple makers that will make disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you continue to follow that through, that's the only way you and I can live in this world without grumbling and complaining all the time, complaining and arguing with the Holy Spirit. Have you found yourself do that ever? When the Holy Spirit comes to change up your day, you praise Him or complain about it? When the Holy Spirit comes to obliterate your ambitions and your knowledge of God, what you think you know, you argue with Him, you complain, or do you shine as a light in this dark world? 
one or the other happens. I found in my Christian life, without coming to him with that disciple, obedient ear, heart, I complain and I argue every day with the Holy Spirit. Every day, about everything. It doesn't go my way. I am. In closing, I want to share with you, I don't know if you have heard of Andrew Murray. He wrote numerous books. He lived back in the 1800s. A dear brother, I can't wait to meet in heaven one day. He wrote this, which I'm going to read to you, just short, brief paragraphs here out of this book called The Secret of Spiritual Strength. He has four stages of the Christian life. The four stages that he addresses are the sad and troubled heart. Mary. She was sad and she was troubled. Not Mary, Martha, sorry. Martha. He addresses the next stage, slow to believe. And then the next stage is the burning heart and then the satisfied heart. He says this is how we get to know Jesus. I think I'll leave this for today. If you want to read this book, I encourage you to read it. It will encourage you and bless you. Maybe I'll read from it another time. The other person I want to point out to you is Madame Guillon or Jean Guillon. She was a French woman. Lel is shaking her head. She knows she lived in France for 30 years. She wrote this book, I think, maybe back in the 1600s or 1500s, late 1500s, right, Lel? She wrote it in prison. And if you don't know her story, you should Google her story. It will inspire you. It changed my life. She writes this. I give you an invitation. If you are thirsty, come to the living waters. Don't waste your precious time digging wells that have no water in them. If you are starving and can find nothing to satisfy your hunger, then come, come and you will be filled. You who are poor, come. You who are afflicted, come. You who are weighted down with your load of wretchedness and your load of pain, come. You will be comforted. You who are sick and need a physician, come. Don't hesitate because you have diseases. Come to your Lord and show him all your diseases and they will be healed. Come, dear child of God. Your father has his arms of love open wide to you. Throw yourself into his arms. You who have strayed and wandered away as sheep, return to your shepherd. You who are sinners, come to your Savior. I especially address those of you who are very simple, you who are uneducated, even you who cannot read and write. You may think you're the one person most incapable of this abiding experience of Christ. This prayer of simplicity. You may think yourself the one furthest from the deep experience with the Lord. But in fact, the Lord has specially chosen you. You are the one most suited to know Him well. She speaks about coming to the Word of God as a prayer. 
coming to him in a heart of asking, Lord, I want to hear from you. And if you haven't read this book, I recommend it to you. Experiencing the depth of Jesus Christ. And then another lady was passed on and went to be with the Lord, Elizabeth Elliot. You may have heard of her. Some of you. She wrote this book, Keep a Quiet Heart. There's something about you ladies that have a a motherly love. Have you noticed this in yourselves? Guys, have you noticed this, how I as a dad sometimes can come to my boys and discipline, it's time to be strict, you know, and okay, I've had enough. And then mom comes in, puts her arm around me, and there's just this quietness that comes over their heart. I love that motherly heart of love. Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says he was like that to the church, like nursing mom. I want to be more like that. That's how Jesus is. And that's what she speaks of, a quiet heart. When we come to anxious-filled hearts, we live in a world where people are stressed out where people are so full of their own ambitions and they're just not working out. They're frustrated with God. They're arguing and complaining about everything and everything about God. They're blaming God. They're, even His children. So many are arguing with Him, complaining. And the Lord is looking for those who have a quiet heart, for those who experience the depth of the knowledge of His Word in dunamis, living power, who regularly, daily experience the cross of Jesus Christ obliterating their plans, their own selfish ambitions, and they come out of the rubble, broken-hearted, yielded-hearted, to follow their Jesus in an obedient way. Full of faith, trusting Him to do His work. And those are the people who are making disciples of Jesus on the earth. Jesus is living his life in them. While many others may be making disciples of good preachers, good organizations, good things like Mary, like Martha, doing good work in the kitchen. But the one needful thing is missing. And that's what Jesus is looking for. And that's who Jesus is ministering to. I hope.